Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast for Thursday, May 12th, 2022. I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined today by my man Mike Tanier and NFL reporter Matt Lombardo. Would like to say hello to everybody watching us right now, whether it's Twitch or YouTube, Facebook or Twitter. Uh, listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Remember, when you watch live at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays, you get to ask us questions. Yes. So today's uh, later subject is going to be the NFC East, and we're going to talk about whether the Eagles have passed the Cowboys. But before we get to the NFC East, let's talk about tonight's big schedule release, which we are, we already knew that the NFL was going to do this thing where they have a big show where they release the schedule. Um, new this year has been releasing like one game a day, like we're drug addicts that just need a little bit of sugar to get to our, our next heroin hit. Like it's just <laughs> like how they are like doling out the games one by one by one and I, I guess we're doing this because i mean in the past there was like a whole twitter account called nfl schedule leaks uh-huh. which was just leaking games all day and was wrong about almost everything but like was getting tons of attention so the nfl was like well we'll jump on that and now like they're announcing like a game a day did you see that site has been like trolling people all day have like they it- yeah, they have been. It's like, if you've been following us, that's on you. And if you're a blue check mark, you should lose your check mark for following us and retweeting us. And it's like, okay, dude, come on. You know. Yeah, my theory here on why we're getting a game that gets revealed on Good Morning America and a game that gets revealed on the Today Show and a game that gets reviewed during the NFL draft and a game that gets, you know, dropped during the latest episode of This Is Us, whatever the case may be, is the NFL, I think, is trying to avoid some of these erroneous leaks, these misinformation peddlers. Mm-hmm. And they got, you know, I think they're trying to get their piece of the pie. But Aaron, Mike, I want to, would love to get your take on this because the NFL builds up this whole 8 p.m. schedule release show, right? Across mm-hmm. so many platforms and channels. Who watches this? I mean, we're all sitting on Twitter all day, and there's three or four legitimate reporters who are, you know, reporting actual games. We're all going to know the schedule by like 2.30 p.m., right? Who's yeah. watching this 8 p.m. You know, oh, schedule release every year? A lot of fans. I, I'll admit, I do this for a living, and I don't watch the schedule release no. show. No, I only do it when, when I'm ordered to by my bosses. But a lot of more fans are going to watch it than would watch a replay of the Chiefs-Bills playoff game for the 15th time on, on Thursday night. That's the case. And yeah, I know I know people because yeah, I got Eagles fans who are going to be like, okay, we make our one road trip per year to another city and we know what the city might be, but we only know we can get vacation time from November 1st. to do, you know, So, so they're watching for that. There, there will be chatter about this. I think, I think it's goofy to a degree, but there's going to be conversation about this tonight. What do you guys think of some of the games already announced? First of all, what do you think of the Broncos and Rams playing Christmas day being also simulcast on Nickelodeon? They're doing uh, Christmas is on Sunday this year. And for the first time, well, I guess last year was really the first time when Christmas was on uh, Monday. But this year, really, they're like breaking the seal on Christmas. Like they're doing 11 games on Saturday and three on Sunday. Telling the NBA. They run right after the NBA. Yeah. 
Yeah, going right after the NBA. And what I love about the Nickelodeon simulcast as a father to a four-year-old girl is that this is kind of twofold. And it's it's perfect because you get the slime game at 4 p.m. so she can have fun and, you know, watch all the bright colors and the slime mm-hmm. cannons and get exposed to football a little bit. And as a parent, the game's in Los Angeles, right? So it's like paradise and you're going to see the photos of the palm trees. And of course, there's going to be, you know, Santa Claus and a Speedo in the seats. And it's like, oh, look, you know, Santa didn't want to go to the North Pole. He's already on his vacation. He's at the game. So I think that the NFL scheduling that game in that location, I think it's if you're going to play a game on Christmas Day, which there are a lot of other things I'd rather be doing than being zoned in on covering an NFL game. But if, if it's going to be on, that's the perfect way to do it, in my opinion. And four o'clock is a very good time because usually grandma and grandpa, the presents are out. They've, they've had the dinner and now people are around the TV. So you, so you might as well, you might as well watch a little football and then it's in LA anyway. So you can go right to Nakahoma tower and watch Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a really good idea to have Christmas day, the Nickelodeon game. Like you said, by four o'clock, everyone's tired and looking to just sit the kids in front of the television. And here's a great way to introduce them to football by sitting them in front of the TV on Christmas day. It's, it's actually a really good idea. Right. Um, the other, another change this year is Amazon prime yeah. uh, being Thursday night. So are you guys Amazon prime members? What do you guys think about this? H- how many views do you think that the NFL is going to get? I, I don't know how you measure Amazon prime. Is it like TV ratings or like internet views? Oh, uh, I, I'm not sure. Okay. Is it pages? I don't know. Well, as someone who has Amazon Prime and I'm also an Amazon shareholder, you know, full disclosure here. Oh. Yeah, I think what the I think the metric is hours watched. I think that's going to be because I think that's how like Netflix and Disney Plus, you know, rate the success of their shows or movies. It's by hours watched, uh, you know, on that program. And, and I think it's actually going to do pretty well. Um, obviously, from an Amazon perspective this is a great way to get people to sign up for prime, right? Because if you want to watch football and everybody knows if we're going to watch the schedule release on May 12th, we're going to be wanting to watch the game on September 12th, right? Because that's what we are. This is America, right? So I think that from an Amazon perspective, it's great because it drives subscriber growth and it's another little piece to their portfolio. And for the NFL, Listen, I think this is the wave of the future, whether it's eventually putting more games on ESPN Plus exclusively or selling a package to Apple TV Plus. The money is there from the big tech companies, the Apples, the Amazons, the Disneys. And I think that there's such a better way to package what's already a great product via streaming. And for the streaming companies, they get to use it as a vehicle to drive subscriptions and promote their other products. So I think this is going to work out really, really well. Spoken like a true shareholder there, Matt. And your local bar has to get this. Now, your local bar, my local bar still has the satellite hookup and everything. I don't know how Amazon in, interacts with that, but my local bar on Thursday night has got to have that game. So right off the bat, I think you have a lot of subscribers coming in saying, well, you know, this is part of our business models in sports tavern. Um, Todd points out he's not an Amazon Prime member, and I'm assuming he's not an Amazon Prime uh, uh, stakeholder either, but he's talking about good matchups. I saw today that the Bears are going to be playing the Commanders. Bears, Commanders. Ah, that's the hardcore. That's the Amazon Prime, baby. October 14th on Amazon Prime, Bears versus Commanders. Carson Wentz versus Justin Fields will have been uh, uh, benched in favor of Trevor Simeon by then. Well, Sam Howell. 
Yeah, Sam Howell versus Trevor Simeon. <laughs> I think the next step here is going to be Sunday ticket going to streaming. You would yeah. think. There's really no reason why Apple TV or Amazon could not outbid AT&T. And there's no reason for Sunday ticket to be on satellite now that streaming exists. Yeah. Like the next step is going to be putting Sunday ticket on streaming sometime in the next couple of years, I would think. And I will say as far as the home team playing, which Todd Singer mentions, uh, as far as I know, the rules still will have the games over the air in the home markets. Right. So, for example, when the Patriots play, it'll be on Channel 5 here in Boston, some channel in Philly, et cetera, et cetera, when teams play. Here's the other interesting schedule announcement, I thought. The Monday night football doubleheader. Last year, they got rid of the opening night doubleheader, which was one game at 7 and one game at 10. This year, they're having a new Monday night doubleheader in week two, except it's not a doubleheader. It's two games simultaneously. It's Titans at Bills at 7 on ESPN. And then Vikings at Eagles at 8.15 on ABC. So you're going to have to choose between the games, which I'm kind of bummed about. And the nice one of the nice things about these island broadcast windows is yeah. that everyone is watching the same game. Right. Although I like a 7.30 kickoff. I like a, seven, I like a 6 o'clock kickoff because I'm an early bird. Um, but the two game, I, I think that's manageable because we, you can you can channel surf and they're going to be staggered endings and things like that. So I can kind of see the rationale there. I'm wondering why it's week two and not week one. Well, I think there's going to be a few of these per year. I think there's going to be you know two or three of these per season under the new TV deal. And I I don't really love it for the same reason that Aaron doesn't love it because yeah. you know the the nice thing about these primetime games is it's the only game in town and Twitter is is actually a tolerable place when everybody's <laughs> live tweeting just one game right and you know in my what I call the football command center here I have the three TVs you know especially comes in handy on Sunday yeah. you know covering the entire league but. You know, I have to wonder if if you're going to stagger these two games, is there going to be an equivalent of, you know, uh, NFL red zone for Monday night doubleheaders? Because <laughs> it's not a true doubleheader. And I feel like if you have to choose between one game and the other, unless you're one of the teams in the home market, you're, you're kind of alienating the rest of the country being able to watch these complete game broadcasts. So I'm sure they, they did a lot of due diligence. I'm sure there's a theory as to why they structured it this way. I just don't get it. I'll bet you that after the second quarter of the late game, the 1030 Eastern time start of Chargers, Raiders, or whatever the late game was, that the ratings went. Oh, that I'm sure is true. And that's why yeah. they got rid of the that's why they got rid of the hey, let's give the Pacific time zone people a game at normal times yeah. doubleheader. They got rid of that. Yeah. 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 So that must be it. Part of it anyway. Um, who do you guys think is most likely the opening night opponent for the Rams? It has it's- not been announced yet. Here are my candidates, 49ers, Cardinals, Cowboys, Bills, and Raiders. Who do you think is the most likely one? I think it might have been announced a few minutes ago. It might be the Bills. Oh, was it already announced? I I was going to say the Bills. I think the Bills are the best. 
Exactly. Yeah, I wrote about this a month ago, and, and I said the Bills would be the dream matchup for a lot of reasons, right? Because it was the Super Bowl matchup that a lot of people had going into last year's playoffs. You get, you know, Josh Allen and maybe the best roster in football against the defending champs, maybe a Super Bowl preview. And, you know, it might be the best game on the, the schedule for the entire year. If you want to go AFC versus NFC, it made too much sense for that not to be the opener. Yeah, it's not official. I, that's one of the leaks, but it's a leak from a credible score. And like, and for all the reasons Uh-oh. you said, it seems logical. And it's another thing. It's a Wednesday night game. Isn't that right? Not a Thursday nighter. Oh, that's is it not a Thursday nighter this year? Because usually, usually they only switch it to Wednesday because of uh, like political uh, okay. stuff. They're pre they're pre omicroning and no I might have that wrong but I I thought it was a I think it's still going to be Thursday night okay. like usual okay <clears throat> so of course the reason why the schedule thing is so weird in part is because we already know who's going to play who so things like who has to travel the most and who has the hardest opponents is already decided so we can show you schedule strength so I have some graphics with the hardest and easiest projected schedules based on the latest and greatest. Football Outsiders DVOA projections for this year. Nice. They have every everything is in them except for Jerry Hughes he- signing in Houston. <laughs> everything other than that is in. Them. So we have that's a gonna move the, that's going to move the needle pretty hard. That's going to move the needle a lot for the uh, Houston defense. Well, so, it is actually because that was a big weakness of this. Okay. Hardest projected schedules for the upcoming season is a tie. This is the average DVOA of their opponents. And I will say, by the way, this year's DVOA projections are even more crowded around average than usual. So, like, everybody is going to end up really crowded around average in our projections. Steelers and Bengals with the hardest projected schedules in the league. It it assumes that Deshaun Watson plays the entire season. Obviously, once the actual schedule comes out tonight and we know where Cleveland's games are, Right. Then if Deshaun Watson gets suspended, that will change the schedule strength for some teams. But Baltimore is going to be a lot better. Cleveland's going to be a lot better. Pittsburgh should still should have a better defense than last year. We're expecting regression from their defense, even if their offense is a pit of hell. Uh, the Bengals <laughs> should be better than our numbers had them last year, like closer to what they had, their actual win-loss record was. So these are the hardest projected schedules in the league. The um, the Steelers and Bengals, the Dolphins and Jets, and then the Arizona Cardinals. Right. The uh, Steelers, by the way, on the road, they will get the Bills on the road. They also get mm. the Eagles, Dolphins, Colts on the road, plus the Panthers and Falcons. So you can see the tough road schedule there. At home, they get the Patriots in Pittsburgh. That's tough. And they get the Buccaneers in Pittsburgh. And the Raiders will be very tough in Pittsburgh. So you can kind of see, in addition to the fact that it's going to be, you know, a real black and blue battle in the division, kind of see where that's coming from. Buccaneers games, Bills games on the road. If that Bills game on the road is in December or January, forget about it. Um, The other tough schedules are basically it's the rest of the AFC East, Cleveland, and Kansas City. I'm going to throw a couple. Go ahead. I was going to say, when I did the way too early projections, the Rams had the hardest schedule in the league and the Ravens had the uh, easiest. Yes. And now they both have average schedules because of quarterbacks moving around. Right. 
Like the Ravens play Cleveland twice, Tampa Bay, and the Broncos, all of which got way better <laughs> than they were in February. That's right. The, the way too early projections came during the Brady retirement moment. Yes. Remember the Brady retirement? That was good <laughs> The moment, the Brady retirement moment yes. seems to sum it up pretty well. Yes. More, before, more like the couple seconds. Uh, what a weekend. <laughs> mm, man. Aaron, yeah. I'm curious. You know, you look at these teams at the top with the hardest projected schedules, and you start to think about the flip side of that coin. And I know we're going to talk ad nauseum about the NFC East a little bit later, but I have to believe that when you look at the rebuilds going on in New York and Washington, the NFC East has to rank near the bottom of this thing, right? Oh, yes. Bring up the graphic. <laughs> you couldn't be more right. You literally could possibly not be more right. The three <laughs> easiest projected schedules in the league belong to the NFC East. Starting with the Philadelphia Eagles, who have by far the easiest projected schedule in the league, then the Cowboys and the Commanders, uh, then the Jaguars and the Texans. The entire bottom 10 of like the easiest schedules is basically those two divisions, in part because I believe they play each other this year. Mm -hmm. So yes. the NFC East and the AFC South, plus the Lions and 49ers, are the 10 easiest schedules. Oof. Now, the Eagles Ooh. at home get the Packers, obviously tough. Vikings, they will be tough this year. Uh, preview, they have a good uh, projection coming from DVOA. Jaguars. Titans, who I think we all think is kind of be on the decline this year. And the Saints and Steelers, who, you know, they're, they're middling. So that, that seems reasonable. On the road, the Eagles are going to have the Bears, the Lions, the Texans, the Colts, who, you know, again, probably in that middle tier and the Cardinals who got up and down. So it's not like ridiculous, but there's enough Jaguars, Bears, Lions, Texans, and of course, New York Giants to see where that easy schedule projection is coming. And let's all be honest, as far as the NFC North goes, the Packers are not as dangerous as they were last year without Devontae Adams. That's true. That's and the true. Bears defense might be better, but Chicago Ugh. did nothing to help Justin Fields, Ugh. who they gave up all that draft capital and who showed a, a decent amount of promise at times during last year. Uh, the Bears, to me, just seem like a, a rudderless ship with uh, a piece, uh, a captain who could be pretty good in Justin Fields. So I can understand how playing teams like the Bears might help bump your strength of schedule up into the easy category <laughs> just a little bit more. Yeah, the AFC South also really – first of all, they play each other, and second of all, the NFC East plays them. I mean, just to give a preview of our projections, we'll talk a little bit about the Cowboys and the Eagles in a second. The Cowboys and the Eagles are projected to be good. Yes. The other two teams in the NFC East and all four teams in the AFC South are projected with a, a mean projection under 500. Like the AFC South is very clearly projected to be the worst division in the league. By the way, the Eagles over under right now, DraftKings is 8.5. Yeah, 8 .5. that is way too low. Yeah. I like the over. I like the over. I like the over. I'm not going to give the DVOA projection because it might not be done cooking yet. That Jerry Hughes signing might affect it, but it's, <laughs> I'm, it's minus 150. But right now, Eagles fans, Eagles Nation, neighbors, friends, I'm going to play that over right now at 8.5. And I'm going to advise you do it too. Yeah, so what, what's the Cowboys over-under? Give me one second because I just went away from the screen because I literally am, oh, no, it's it's asking me to do double. Uh, so I'll, I'll place that bet later because it wants me to go to my phone. So 
Cowboys. Well, you are placing the bet right now, like right now, right now. I was literally. Well, I'm not anymore because it, it wants to verify. It asked you to do double verification. It's asking for double verification, and we don't have all day. And we already had a, a Discord moment earlier. Uh, let's see here. Team futures, uh, regular season wins. Cowboys over under is way up at because I let check that before the up at ten point five. That is so. Here we are. So let's talk about the NFC East because we were going to talk about have the Eagles pass the Cowboys, and the answer from Vegas is hell no. Vegas clearly believes that the Eagles have not passed the Cowboys at all. Right. I think it is way closer than those Vegas. You know, not. I understand Vegas futures are nobody beats Vegas, and they they know a lot, and Vegas futures end up being very predictive. But wow, does that seem off to me when you look at what the Eagles have done this offseason and then you look at who the Cowboys have lost compared to the not that much that they've gained. Right. I feel like the Eagles have very clearly caught up to the Cowboys, not that they'll beat them necessarily, but that they've caught up, that it's a 50-50 proposition. No, I agree. And in a vacuum, I kind of like that 10 and a half number for the Cowboys because I still think that that defense is going to get better. I still think during the regular season, Dak Prescott is good enough to steal them a couple of games that maybe they have no business winning and they won't win in the postseason because they don't win in the postseason. But from an Eagles perspective, you know, guys, I think this might be the most impressive offseason of the Howie Roseman era, not just bringing in A.J. Brown in the trade, but some of the picks they made in the NFL draft, not just to fortify depth this year, but really adding the kind of playmakers who can make a real impact next year and beyond. But they were big players in free agency, too. I think they filled a lot of key needs. And, you know, I think the Cowboys number is about right. But I would slot the Eagles over under right around 10 or 11 as well. And I think that if you're looking at the division and how this race is going to unfold, of course it's going to come down to Jalen Hurts taking that next step. But the Eagles have done everything possible to facilitate him taking that step. He has the weapons now at every position on offense. The defense got better at all three levels. And I think that when you have a schedule where you're playing teams like the AFC South, like the Giants twice, like the Commanders twice, I think 10 wins is kind of the floor for this team going into this year. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, pass rush. I mean, talking about getting better, I understand there's definitely still questions at cornerback. Zach McPherson, I don't know anything about Zach McPherson, and he's probably starting outside corner for them. But Hassan Reddick plus Brandon Graham coming back from injury is a huge addition, two huge additions to that pass rush. Plus, on the offensive side, A.J. Brown. Right. Yeah, right. And, and we're all in the same place. Well, we have to see the evaluation finally of Jalen Hurts. If he just does what he does last year, if he's like, well, it's still this guy who scrambles a lot and is gutsy, but like misses passes over the middle and underthrows passes deep, I still think that's eight, nine, ten wins. I still think, yeah, that yeah you know, if that's you give him right. better receivers. You give him AJ Brown plus Devontae Smith. I think we all assume receivers second year probably take a step forward. Yeah. Like even if Hertz is the same quarterback, he's better because his receivers are better. Right. And it was a tick. And, you know, Devonta Smith was a tick below a thousand yards as a rookie. You put A.J. Brown on the other side, who's a threat to be 1,100, 1,200 yards. You know, the Eagles haven't had a thousand yard receiver since Jeremy Macklin back in 2014. Ooh. If Hertz takes an incremental step forward, I think that they have a chance of having two thousand yard yeah. receivers. Miles Sanders, if he stays healthy, 
He's a dynamic playmaker catching the ball out of the backfield as well as a runner. Mm-hmm. You know, Dallas Goddard continues to be a matchup nightmare. And I know Brandon Brooks is no longer there, but yeah. the Eagles just keep replenishing along the offensive line. And they're too deep along the offensive line. Might be the best too deep in the NFL. So if Jalen Hurts doesn't take that step forward, then you wash your hands and, and you look ahead to the draft next year or the veteran quarterback market and you take a crack at it with one of the best supporting cast of skill players in the league. So I think the Eagles have really positioned themselves well, not only this year, but over the next two seasons in a division that outside of the Cowboys who habitually underperform in the postseason, there's not a lot of competition at the top of the NFC East right now. And I think the Eagles are best positioned to take that mantle and run with it. I'll add that for people who haven't seen on Twitter, Ben Baldwin from The Athletic has been doing some estimates of offensive line quality that are based on uh, pro football focuses grades plus aging curves and what rookies normally do, et cetera. And I believe he has the Eagles projected as the best pass blocking line in the league. Like they have a really good offensive line. I mean, I know we have a good offensive line. I said we. I just weed us. Uh, I, I I respect oh, weed us. You, you double weed. I weed is all about. He's looking over my shoulder at all. Times. <laughs> He's looking over my shoulder at all times. Um, looking at it, and you can help me with this. You might be a little more dialed in. Lane Johnson, we know what that is. Kelsey, he's aging. Yeah, looking at this, Melada has developed. Landon Dickerson can step in and really be a, a, a pretty special player in year two. And then and you've got depth and you've got Samalu. That, that is a pretty strong line. Do either of you know anything about the cornerbacks? Because that's clearly their biggest hole. McPherson. Other than Darius Slay. I can tell you McPherson at the beginning of last training camp, the couple of days I spent there, looked like the second coming of Darius Slay or of Ronnie Lott or of something like that. And then as the game started to get more meaningful and the fact that he was a fourth round runaround guy, uh, it, it sort of showed and it sort of exposed that he wasn't ready for that. But he was a very strong uh, uh, shower in early training camp. So I don't know. I'm not penciling him in as a uh, playoff caliber cornerback uh, right now, but I, I know where this is, this is coming from. This is somebody that impressed that coaching staff early last year. And again, there's corners on the market. If the, if the Eagles need to try and grab somebody in June, they could grab some uh, veteran if they chose to. Yeah, Mike I think the Kirk fact that they didn't up. prioritize, good. Yeah. Mike Chris points out that replacing quite literally the worst wide receiver last year, according That's to DVOA, with A.J. Brown would even make Danny Dimes look good. Jalen <laughs> Rager, ladies and gentlemen. Did, did Rager pick last? I thought somebody was below Rager. Hold on. I think Rager was last. I feel like that's all I would have been talking about for the last four months. Oh, no. It made, it made Robbie Anderson last, but Rager was right there. McLeod. Ray, Ray McLeod was last. Ray Ray McLeod was last. Rager's down there, yes, but uh... – Oh, Pascal. Uh, wasn't Pascal in Indy last year? He was in Indy. He was. He was. Blaze. Those guys were all at the bottom anyway. Rager sucks. So, yeah. <laughs> Replacing Rager with A.J. Brown is awesome. Matt, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that I think the fact that they didn't prioritize cornerback in the early rounds of the draft and they haven't gone out and made a marquee signing at corner probably shows you that they're, they're confident in McPherson taking that next step And if that's the case, I mean, obviously you look at what's happening around the NFL with wide receivers getting paid and you look within the division at the wide receivers, he's going to have to line up against, you know, they're obviously believing he can take that next step and you have slay who's an all pro on the other side. So, you know, I think from the Eagles perspective, they needed to address 
the pass rush. And Hassan Reddick was a top four in pass rush win rate last year. He, I think, is one of the more underrated free agent signings of anybody in the league. And he's coming home. So there's a lot of added intrinsic motivation there for him to, you know, have a breakout season. So I think that the Eagles are going to be one of these teams that takes a big step. But again, Jalen Hurts has to take the leap. If he doesn't yeah, take the it, leap, then it doesn't matter what other pieces you have around. Him. Right. Right. If he does, if he doesn't take the leap, then what they are is I see. I think if he doesn't take the leap, they they still go like ten and seven, and then right. they lose in the first round of the playoffs. Like, right. That's what I'm. I thinking. agree. Like with this with this schedule, and with the additions that they've made, like that eight point five number is just way too low. Um, and then Dallas, you know, they lost Amari Cooper. They lost Randy Gregory. Those are two really big. Is that your cowboy hat? Talking Cowboys. And the only thing they've really added as veterans is James Washington. I mean, they added the rookie left guard, and uh, Sam Williams was Saxier's favorite sleeper at pass rusher, but right. he's less of a sleeper in the second round than he would have been in the fifth. Right. Um, they really – I mean, Cooper and Gregory are, are fairly large losses, although Gregory is less of a loss because he actually – it's not like he was playing all year last right. year, right? Like we already seen what they look like without Gregory because half the year they didn't have Gregory. Right. When I, when I just flipped over the depth chart and I saw James Washington listed as a starter, I nearly cried. Yeah, he's their slot receiver. Now. He's, he's listed as a slot receiver. This is a guy who just – the Steelers just put anybody on, on the field for years. And I like Washington coming out of, of college, but this is who is replacing Amari Cooper – and you're, you're worried about an injury to, to Gallup coming back, and you've lost Cedric Wilson. So I guess, I don't know, I'm looking it up right now. Is Noah Brown in there as the number four? I don't see this uh, phenomenal playmaking core that I've seen in the past. And you also lost um, Dalton. Did you lose Dar Darwin or Schultz? I always get them mixed up. Um, Dalton Darwin is gone. Schultz got franchise. Darwin is gone. They, got, they lost Schultz. Uh, yeah, so, and they brought in Ferguson in the fourth round. He's actually a pretty good prospect, but – this isn't like some dynamic over the top, awesome offense around, around Dak Prescott. And by the way, on football outsiders on walkthrough, if you'll see, I was talking about Derrick Henry. We talked about the running back who had the least missed and broken tackles last year. It was Zeke. It was Ezekiel Elliott. You still got a backfield that is costing you a lot of money and not really providing a lot of uh, uh, bang for the buck. Hey, hot take alert. Get the sirens going here. I got one coming in for you. I, I actually think that losing Cedric Wilson is going to be a bigger loss than losing Amari Cooper. And, you know, I, I look at what Wilson was able to do from the slot last year. He was productive in that role. A little bit of a matchup nightmare. He goes to Miami where he can kind of flourish in Tyreek Hill's shadow. Mm -hmm. The rest of the league told you what it thinks about Amari Cooper. What did Cleveland trade him for? Like a, a fifth round pick? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't very much. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it was, you know, the blockbuster deal that the. No, Packers not after what happened for, after that. <laughs> yeah. <for the laughs> yeah. What happens for Hill now? Of course. And I think the league has kind of shown you that they now view corners like the 16th or 17th quarterback in the league, that receivers are now worth the 15th or 16th quarterback money in the league, that it's a premium mm -hmm. position. And Cooper didn't fetch that kind of a market. The Cowboys are betting big on CeeDee Lamb. And I know that he has speed. And I know that he can be the guy who can be the dynamic playmaker. Mm -hmm. He's shown it in flashes. They're betting that he's going to do that consistently for 17 games. He has to go out and do that, or they're going to be in a little bit of trouble here. But I do think that losing both Cooper and Wilson, we, nobody talks about losing Cedric yeah. Wilson. I, I think losing that production, because he was one of the favorite targets at yeah. times of Dak Prescott, you take away that security blanket, 
I just don't know if that's going to work for a team that hasn't been able to punch through that ceiling, especially in the playoffs when things get a little bit tighter from a defense perspective. I'll also point out for their defense, you know, one of the big things in our projection system is the idea that turnovers on defense tend to regress stronger than other things. Yeah. Dallas was at the top of the league, ending 17.5% of drives with takeaways. Right. Philadelphia was near the bottom of the league, ending 9.2% of drives with takeaways. So that number is likely to be lower for Dallas and higher for Philadelphia this year. So Trayvon Diggs isn't going to intercept like 20 passes? I doubt severely that Trayvon Diggs is going to have 11 interceptions again. It's so fun because like um, before last season, I was on Good Morning Football and they asked me what did I think was the record that was least likely to be broken even with the extra game in the season? And I said interceptions. Right. And then Trayvon Diggs went out and almost broke the streak. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not going to have a year like that. Now, Slay might drop a couple interceptions. I mean, that's uh, usually on par for, for the Eagles. But, yeah, that that's another thing about the Cowboys. It's like part of what they had last year was built on that defense suddenly. Right. Coming this turnover machine based not necessarily on personnel that would suggest they had made that kind of leap. And I still think the Cowboys are going to be an easy team, a good team with an easy schedule. Right. But I, I agree with you. I don't think, I mean, they were number one in DVOA last year. I don't think they're going to be number one this year. The defense is probably not going to be as good. Like you said, the offense switching out Cooper and Wilson for uh, James Washington does not seem like a step forward. I feel like these two teams are much closer than Vegas seems to think they are. By the the way, other two teams are terrible, by the way. <laughs> I got, I got, shout out to Jared Bailey, who might be watching. I got stands all over my Twitter feed talking about the Commanders. And not just like goofy Commanders fans, but like people say, well, don't sleep on this team. Look at this. Look at that. And I do look at that very easy schedule. And I ignore who's a quarterback right now because we don't have to get into that. And could they be a wild card team? Are the Commanders like possibly? The defense, the defense should be better. Their defense should be somewhere between what it was two years ago and what it was last year. Yeah, I love the front seven. I actually think the commanders could be a sleeper team because you look at the NFC and I think that it's just, it's really wide open. Once you take the Packers, the Rams and the Buccaneers and you put them on a shelf, I mean, you still have four, four wild three wild four playoff spots there that are kind of up for grabs and the commanders i think their defense is what it needs to be and you know for all the criticism that carson wentz deserves and has earned through his career mm-hmm. i think he's still a significant upgrade over what they had a year ago mm-hmm. and you're dropping him into an offense with terry mclaurin Jahan dotson and antonio gibson who i think is one of these dual threat running backs who could really break out this year they have the chance to win some 27 to 23 slugfests. They keep a tough not schedule. letting Antonio Gibson break out, though. Right? <laughs> like, it's I know. like, oh, we brought McKissick back. And uh, we, we went out and we drafted another running back in the third round. And yeah. it's like, I mean, so, I mean, like from a fantasy perspective, for example, I feel like the Antonio Gibson breakout is just never going to happen. Right. Plus, well, we were a playoff win last year. Yeah. Well, how many wins, because I know you don't have the over-under in front of you, Matt, how many wins would you put the Commanders in on? I think maybe eight. I think they can get to eight with that schedule. Eight and nine seems fine. The 7.5 is the number. At minus 125, I have a personal 
philosophy of never betting on Carson Wentz to do anything except break your heart. So I won't touch it. But that, I think that's what we're talking about. Because like, oh, yeah, they're, they're the team that could be the final playoff team at eight and nine. Yeah, you could certainly talk me into that. But talking me into anything beyond that is 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 impossible. Oh, they're not going to win a playoff game. No, but, no. but I think that, you know, you look at the landscape of the NFC, even the NFC West, you look at the strength of schedule that you guys flashed up earlier and the Cardinals were one of the four toughest yeah. schedules yeah. in the league. So they yeah. have to go against the Rams twice. They get the Niners twice and who knows what Seattle's going to be, right. but you know, those teams, my point is are going to beat each other up. I, I don't know that anybody's going to take a leap towards overtaking the Packers the, you know, AFC South is a nuclear fallout zone. The NFC South is outside <laughs> of Tampa Bay. So I, I just think that there, there's a sweet spot there for the commanders in that defense. And look, Ron Rivera is too good a coach for them not to incrementally improve, right. at least in my opinion. And I think they have the pieces in place and the talent in place to do that. Now, whether they're going to reach double digits, I don't I don't think so, but I think they can win, you know, eight or so games, which might just be good enough for that last wild card spot. By the way, I don't think they like if you Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke, I think are very actually very similar. If you're really looking for Wentz, not the meme version of Wentz, but where he lands in this guy who can produce these sort of random flashes of big plays and then go into these long droughts where it's like, my God, he's overthrowing everything. Difference being Heineke had no expectations. So we're like, oh, pleasantly surprised. And Wentz has expectations and, we are perpetually disappointed. Right. I, this feels I like feel the like end of the line the for him, right? Sorry, what? As this feels like the end of the line for Carson Wentz. Like, if you don't get it done here as a starting quarterback, you're hopping on the Ryan Fitzpatrick career backup. You're not. Trend, you're not right? He's never going to be a career backup. You know that, Matt. I get. I think given the whole, like, locker room presence concept, yeah. he's not someone people are going to want around as a backup. No. No, this is Great it. Point. Yeah, this is it for just sort of disappearing out the back door and so you know we'll we'll see we'll see if he perceives sam howell as a threat interesting dynamic sam howell never eats a burger or steak and <laughs> the one thing that's left about carson wentz is that's not completely dorky is the fact that he's very willing to go out and kill an animal and eat it that's the one thing about him that's still really really cool so it's an interesting dynamic right now yes but is he willing to put it in the grinder so maybe he has steaks, but not burgers. He made cheesesteaks out of venison when he was. That there. actually sounds kind of awesome. In the 856. So and I'm guessing it was pillar to post. He or like somebody close to him uh, did everything with that deer. So uh, you're willing to make a, a case for the commanders as a possible wildcard contender. Will you make the same case for the Giants? I'll make a case that the Giants have a strong case as the number one pick in the NFL draft next year. That's the case that I'll make. <laughs> I mean, I, I look at this team and look, we, we could talk all we want about this being the best offensive line that Daniel Jones played behind. They picked up two veteran band-aids, right? I mean, they, they, these aren't the long-term solutions. I love the Evan Neal pick. I love Kayvon Thibodeau as a pass rusher, but I think people have anointed Aziz Ojolari as a future Hall of Famer just a tad too soon. They might have the worst secondary in the NFL. We all talk about the receiving core that's going to be better this year. They're going to have better receivers. Well, what if Kenny Galladay is just the Kenny Galladay who showed up in training camp last summer and injured his hamstring during the third practice and you never saw him for three more weeks and never got off the ground? What if Kadarius Tony is just untapped potential? And what if Daniel Jones, just close your eyes and imagine for a minute, what if Daniel Jones just is a turnover-prone wildly inconsistent quarterback with really high highs, but a lot more lows in terms of 
you know, the trajectory of his skill it is, set. It is really hard to think of a quarterback who has been below replacement level in his first three years, yeah. who then got it together. Like right. that is really hard to think of. You put a, People in New York were talking about the year three leap last year. Josh Allen made the leap in year two. Patrick Mahomes made the leap in year one of a start as a starter, year two of his yeah. career. The year three leap is a myth at the quarterback position, but the Giants keep holding on to that hope with Daniel Jones. Now, maybe Brian Dable, you know, gets a little bit more out of him. Maybe Saquon Barkley stays healthy. But I think the Giants have a far better chance of having the worst record in the NFL than of pushing for a playoff spot next season. You know what the over-under is? I keep staring at this right now, making sure. The over-under for New York Giants wins is at seven. That seems too high. Under. That seems like double too high by double. Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna predicting that they go four and thirteen. That that's my you know unofficial official Giants pick as we, you know, <laughs> go do the win-loss game as the schedule gets released. Joey Sucks says maybe he'll be like Rich Gannon and have a year eight lead. I mean, the thing about Gannon and, you know, things like Kurt Warner and stuff are those are guys who didn't play in their first couple of years, right? right. Jones played and sucked. Right. Like, I can't think of anybody who played and sucked for three years. Didn't you? You tweeted about it a couple of weeks ago. I know you don't have it in front of you. Yeah, there's like nobody else. Like, like there are there are guys who played and sucked for two years and then got their act together. Like right. Aikman. It's like, but guys who played and sucked for three. I mean, the closest I guess is Alex Smith because he had a really bad year, then a year where he didn't play. Right. Then another really bad year, and then in 2008 he sort of started to turn it around. Right. But it is really unlikely. And they also have the worst projected defense by our numbers. But but Alajare, Alajare, you, you just said- if, if if people are thinking that Ojolari is a future Hall of Famer, I am not listening to enough New York sports radio. <laughs> because- are, are you Matt? Are Spend you some time on Giants Twitter? You you you. Oh you I, I know Lord. I know. I mean, Thibodeau, I'm a big Thibodeau guy. I think Thibodeau is great, but Ojolari is a useful player, but also the secondary. Ugh, you know. I don't get a lot of that. Are you, it's just as this, everybody I've talked to in terms of giants are like, okay with the rebuild and you're getting a different sense from this, Matt, or is it? Oh no. I think that what I think that Joe Shane has done a really great job of since taking over is they've kind of crammed all of the pain that should have been crammed into 2018, Mm. but was, you know, ill-advisedly, you know, wrapped as a bandage for the last four years. They've kind of taken all of the salary cap pain, all of the draft capital pain, and they've kind of wedged it all into this offseason. They weren't big spenders, which was what they needed to do coming off of that season because of the cap mess that Dave Gettleman left behind. They moved on from James Bradbury, creating cap space next year rather than extending him and pushing money into future right. years. I, I, I hesitate to use the term tanking because I don't think that's what they're no, doing. But they, they're, they're putting all of the minimal money that they're spending into this offseason right. so that next year and in 2024, they can kind of be big spenders and maybe some of these highly drafted players are starting to reach their prime and they can build around them. So yeah. I think that fans are really buying into that intelligent, forward-thinking approach right. after they had a GM who sat up there and you know mocked the keyboard <laughs> And the yeah. analytics folks for taking a running back. So okay. I think that the fans have really come around to Shane's approach and they've given him a little bit of latitude here. I don't want anybody to mistake my dismissal of this year's Giants for a dismissal of their front office. I am a big believer in their new front office and coaching staff. 
just like you said, this Same. is a rebuilding year. Right. Right. It seems like it makes sense, right? Yeah. Take care of your pain, draft two first round picks, put enough guys around Daniel Jones that you do get a look, get the get one one more look out the door or or take one more roll of the dice. You know, don't do a Justin Fields and be like, ah, you know what? We uh, we got our guy in here. You know, do something. Yeah, and they have they have two top ten offensive tackles now, yeah. and who knows what Evan Neal is at this level? But it looks like Andrew Thomas is an upper echelon offensive tackle on the left side, yeah. left tackle side. They need to rebuild the cornerback position, but they have some young young safeties. I really like Xavier McKinney. I think that he continued to really blossom down the stretch of his second season. I think there's more there. Um, what they do up front. Who knows there in the front seven? But again, it's a long-term rebuild. It's the type of rebuild that should have happened in 2018 rather than dragging Eli Manning back out onto the field for another ill-advised run at trying to make the postseason. So I think the Giants are finally headed in the right direction. If only that means this year that they're one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the league. Right. Yeah. Joey Sucks says they didn't just spend the two on a running back. They spent it on someone who looked washed in his fourth year. Well, Saquon Barkley has had a lot of injuries. Yeah. yeah, And, and that's one of the reasons you don't draft a running back second <laughs> overall. And it looks like the chat says 71% of the chat feels that the Eagles will have a better record. The Cowboys will have a better record than the Eagles. They just wanted to see the hat again. <laughs> whether or not that's the case, eight and a half for the Eagles is a lot just better. Feels than too low. Just feels yeah. too low. And uh, all right, if you're watching, please like this video. Please subscribe to our channel on YouTube or Twitch and make sure you're here every Thursday at 1 p.m. all off season long where we'll be doing shows talking about various divisions, various uh, remaining free agents, all the NFL stories. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. Much appreciated. Mike, thank you as always. Uh, big schedule release tonight. I hope everybody enjoys planning their road trip to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what everyone's doing, hoping that the road trip to Vegas lines up with the time they can take off from work. And I did it last year, so, yeah. I mean, I, I went to Vegas in the middle of the season. I mean, I didn't follow my team. I went to see the Kansas City Chiefs, but still. Nice. That does it for our show. And, uh, yeah, recommendation I will give to you, Matt, is apparently they do hot dogs based on the uh, based on whoever the visiting team is. Ooh. So there were like barbecue sauce hot dogs. There you go. Kansas City. It was kind of cool. I guess cheesesteak hot dogs. I was going to say cheese whiz. You know, you get the, you the get whiz, whiz on the hot dogs against Philadelphia. Yeah. Put whiz on the hot dog. You're basically a 7 Eleven hot dog. It's delicious. Uh, <laughs> all right. That does it for the show. Uh, splash play tomorrow, 2 30, talking more fantasy. We'll be back next Thursday, 1 p.m. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening and watching.